my favorite part of service. Awesome. Uh, let's see, what are my plans? I'm going to smoke a brisket uh, on tomorrow. On tomorrow. I'm going to smoke a brisket tomorrow. Some friends are coming in town, and we're going to go to the beach. That's what we're doing. Uh, hey, today, uh, in the middle, or, you know, speaking of that question, in the, in the middle of cookouts and uh, resting and that kind of thing, or in my neighborhood, uh, fireworks, I, f- I feel like there are fireworks for like four months out of the year in our neighborhood. So it's, we just think there's gunshots all the time and usually fireworks. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, in the middle of all that stuff, we, just, we do want to take a pause and remember what Memorial Day is all about. And I know some, many of us, especially if, if those of us that have never served or been close to uh, someone that has served, uh, it can be this distant idea. Uh, but what we celebrate, the fact that we're able to have church out in public like this is a privilege. It really is. As a church and as individuals, as, as a family, uh, through the years, we've uh, created curriculum for the underground church in Iran. Uh, we've uh, smuggled Bibles in to China uh, years ago. We've t- even gotten uh, se- seasons of prayer and fasting where one of the uh, pastors that we supported, his wife, because he was preaching the gospel, his wife was taken to, a, taken to a prison and was told that she wouldn't come back unless he stopped preaching the gospel. Um, friends of ours uh, create a network of underground churches in Oman uh, where it's dangerous, where they have to have uh, phones that the batteries come out because they can be tracked. So they can't have iPhones, which is terrible. They have to have Androids. And I don't understand how you guys do it, my green friends. Uh, so we, we, we get it, uh, what it's like to be on that side of it. And the fact that we're able to have church like this is a privilege. And one of the reasons why we have that is because of the brave men and women who've paid the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, so if it's not too uncomfortable, I think it would be uh, right to honor uh, them. Uh, so if you would, if you just bow your heads and let's and to take a moment of silence to remember uh, the price that people paid so that we could just celebrate in moments like this. God, we pray for um, all the families that are impacted. I, I know there are people watching online and people here that have lost loved ones, that there's an empty chair. There's an empty spot around the Christmas tree, around the Thanksgiving table of individuals who have paid the ultimate price. And so, God, we just, we honor them right now. It's not about a, a position on war. It's not about a political party. It's the fact that life matters. And these individuals, like you said, God, you said that the ultimate act of love is to lay down your life for others. And, God, that's what they did. And so we, we honor that. And we honor them by leaning into moments like this where we get to um, enjoy the freedom that they help provide for us. So God, I pray you'd be with those families, bring peace, bring joy. I pray that even in, 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 the, in the middle of even mourning still, God, I pray that they would have time to remembrance to celebrate the life of that individual. God, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, hey, i uh, got some news uh, for you, actually, uh, in light of uh, some of you guys that are that are new to the church may not know our journey. So we we launched as a church in September of 2018, and so half of our life as a church has actually been in quarantine. Uh, so we feel like we were a plane that w- started to get lift off and got about 5,000 feet off the ground and had to ground again. 
and we've been kind of si sitting taxiing on the runway for the last uh, year and a half, doing the best we can. And so we, thankfully, uh, you know, in the first season of quarantine, during the really scary times, remember that, in the first few months of quarantine, uh, when there were, you know, refrigerated trucks outside of hospitals, during that season, God provided in a way that we uh, were able to film the different parts of church and then send it to Marissa out in Long Beach, and she would stitch it together, and then she'd send it back to me on Google Drive, and I would go to the AT&T store uh, on Red Hill <laughs> because it was closed, and they had really fast Wi-Fi you could connect to for free. So every Saturday night at around 11 p.m., 11.30 p.m., I'd drive up to the AT&T store like a creeper in my uh, car and pull up my laptop and upload that week's uh, church service to Instagram TV or IGTV, YouTube, our church online platform, and Facebook to premiere for the next day. And usually it went well. Uh, that was the first season. And then the, the, the season after that, we broadcasted from uh, the church offices. We turned into a makeshift studio. So a uh, huge thank you to James, who we co-office co, uh, with for taking over literally even his side of the office so that we could have... Uh, it generous to call it a studio, but a studio as, as best as we could do. And we learned a lot of lessons about what not to do. Uh, the Never mind, I won't go into more stories about that, but there's some funny stories about that season. So th there was that. And then we started meeting outdoors, broadcasting. We didn't invite anybody because we didn't feel safe that at that time yet. So Cena and Michelle opened up their home to us. They have a beautiful home overlooking Orange County. So we met outside there and broadcasted from there. And I remember the days where it was 110 degrees. And we were filming, and I'm like, God, why? Like, what is going on? So we did that, and then we, this amazing house many of you guys visited out in Newport Beach, where we were literally overlooking Back Bay at sunset. Uh, it was not a bad way to be homeless as a church, and God provided that way. And then the city, the, uh, the great mayor here, Letitia, uh, of, of city of Tustin, and then Chad with the Parks and Rec Department, uh, renovated, they renovated this park, over a million dollars into this park, uh, and they said, we want you guys to be the first people to uh, have services there. So they allowed us to meet here through June. But we didn't know what our plans were after that. And we've been, uh, we, you know, a couple weeks ago we talked about the fact that we feel like we're Israel being uh, rescued from Egypt. And we're looking at the Red Sea on one side and the Pharaoh's army coming from behind and going, okay, God, any time now would be great. Uh, because it was getting hotter and the time we have here was getting uh, shorter, the time we had left. And the weather every week was, I mean, one week was Santa Ana winds and cameras were blown over. The next week it's raining and nothing works. And then it's really hot the week after that. We're like, okay, we're thankful, God, but can we have uh, somewhere else? And God provided a space. So uh, the one of the difficulties or the challenges of, of a space of meeting outside is, one, it's outside, which, you know, thankfully we live in California, so it's, it's pretty, like, steady. Uh, but we're meeting outside. Uh, the second thing was we couldn't have kids space, right? Because how do you have a nursery uh, with like crawlers on grass and whatever dogs have done on the grass in that area, right? So how do you do that? Uh, also, uh, it's we had to have a later service, right? So 11.30 a.m., which some of you guys are like, actually, this is great. Uh, I get to wake up real late. Uh, so, but it, it's, it's a difficult time, especially when you have like kids taking naps, right? It's right around uh, that time to so realize that's, that's challenging. So uh, starting next week, starting next week, God provided a space uh, for us to meet. So it's actually on the other side of Tustin. Uh, it's called the Assembly. The Assembly, you guys know where the mess hall is? Or Tustin Flight, uh, the district, AMC theaters over there, uh, the district right 
northwest around Legacy. I, I, I get so confused. I, I think north is actually west. You guys ever get that way? Because I'm going with the coast. Anyway, it doesn't matter. We're wasting time. So uh, it's, it's at the assembly over there. It's indoor space. It's right next to the mess hall. You don't have to you know, get directions. We're going to email out right after this. We'll be all over our social media. You'll know when to get there. But starting next week, like Raphael said, we're going to be meeting there. We will have kids ministry. We don't, it's not babysitting to us. It's kids ministry where they're learning in a safe, secure environment about how to have a thriving relationship with Jesus appropriate for their age. And then so that you can focus. I know it's really challenging even right now when you have little kids, you're like, even the busy bags are nice, but you want them to like, just not be busy you want them to learn about jesus so that you can focus about learning about jesus too and so we'll have kids ministry next week uh but also we're moving back to our original uh service times okay of 10 30 10 30 so just one hour earlier all right and again it goes from uh like three six months kind of communicate with us if you need our earlier child child care but through fifth grade all right so we'll have from nursery to fifth grade we'll have uh kids ministry which also just FYI, if you're like, man, I really feel like I should maybe get involved uh, with the kids' ministry. I know Madison would really love that. All right, so if you, if you want to talk to someone about that, uh, where's Madison at? Uh, where, where? She's over somewhere, probably near a child. <laughs> yeah, so uh, just email us, connect with us. We'll get you connected if you want to be part of the uh, kids, that you like kids and kids like you. Like that's probably an important uh, differentiator. Uh, so we'll be there uh, for uh, at least three months, three months for sure, and then we're month to month after that with the assembly. Uh, and then we are still actively looking for a long-term uh, location, uh, so we're still actively hunting for that. But that's where we're at. The good news is we're not going to be homeless next week as a church, right? And so pretty awesome. Okay, hey, we're going to dive into the teaching here. Uh, I apologize ahead of time if I step on any toes, but remember, it's the Bible, okay? So it's not... It's not just me. So we've been going through the Gospel of Luke. Some of you guys that are new to the church watching online, I want to get that camera online, or in person, you're new to the church, you may not realize this, but we're taking a long time to go through the Gospel of Luke to really understand there's a lot of misconceptions around who Jesus is and what he taught, right? It's really important for us to do that because we are not just following doctrine. We'll talk about that. We're not just a group of people that follow doctrine. We're not just a group of people that just promote good behavior. We're a people that follow a living God, a person, a God-man, Jesus Christ. And so what he taught and what he, the way he says to live is paramount. He's, it's paramount. So we're taking a long time to go through that. And we're, the series is just called Hello, My Name is Jesus, where we're allowing Jesus to reintroduce himself to us. Because I think some of us, um, God's been mis, has been misrepresented, uh, honestly, because of the way maybe some Christians have acted. And um, we need Jesus to reintroduce his values and what he's really like. So we'll go ahead and dive right in. We're in Luke chapter 18, uh, verse 31 through 34. It's just five verses, 31 or four verses, 31 through 34. And it says this, taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus said, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem. So this is just the 12 disciples. He said, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the son of man will come true. He will be handed over to the Romans and he will be mocked treated shamefully and spit on they will flog him with a whip and kill him and on the third day he will rise again and then it says verse 34 but they didn't understand any of this 
The significance of his words was hidden from them, and they failed to grasp what he was talking about. This, is one of the, this isn't one of those situations where, if you look in the original language, it's not God hiding the meaning from them. This is, in modern vernacular, they missed it. They just missed it. This whole idea of what Jesus talked about is absolutely bananas. It's nuts. There's this idea where people will say, you know, Jesus was a good teacher. He was just a good moral teacher, just like all these other teachers throughout history. But the thing is, what Jesus talked about is not what good teachers say. You understand that? So, I mean, picture this. Imagine you have, like, Raph teaches fourth grade? Fifth grade. So, uh, imagine if, uh, you know, your fifth grader comes home from school, and, you know, you ask them like normal, you know, how, how was school today? And they're like, mm, right? So you dig it a little bit. And they say, okay, well, my teacher talked about how he was going to be handed over to the authorities. Uh, he's going to be mocked, spit on, flogged with a whip. Uh, he's going to be killed, buried, but on the third day he's going to rise again. You wouldn't go, that's great, honey. What a great teacher. You'd go, uh, Google school's phone number, right? You're, you're going to stay home tomorrow. So we figure some, this is not what a good teacher says. You know, C.S. Lewis talked about the fact that Jesus doesn't give us many options for why or what we say he is. He's either a lunatic, he's crazy, or he's a liar, he's making things up, or he's Lord. You got to pick. But good teacher, good moral teacher is not one of them. So Jesus predicts exactly what's going to happen to him, right? I'm going to be handed off to the Romans, I'm going to be whipped, flogged, killed. And then I'm going to rise again on the third day. What Jesus is saying is that all the prophets, and you got to realize his disciples had memorized the entire, what we call the Old Testament, what they would call their Bible. They had it memorized by the age of 14. The whole thing. So what Jesus was saying is, you know, all the prophets, that for thousands of years, you know what they said. All the predictions that they said. It's going down right now. All the things about the Messiah coming to power, all the, all the things about the Messiah suffering, it's about to happen. You're about to see it with your own eyes. And they were just looking back at him like, what? What are you talking about? See, another time earlier, Jesus asked Peter, who do people say I am? In other words, what's, what's, what's on social media about me? What's pop culture saying about me? What are the, what's the news saying about me? And Peter looks back at Jesus and says, you know, some people say you're John the Baptist, resurrected because, you know, he got beheaded. Uh, was very, uh, not very safe to be a Christian in the first century. And he said, you know, some people are saying John the Baptist, resurrected. Some people are saying a prophet like Isaiah or Jeremiah. And then Jesus looks at Peter and says, who do you say I am? You know, that's great. That's, that's, what, that's what they say. Who do you say I am? We talk about this passage all the time as a church, because I think one of the most important questions you need to answer for you is who do you say Jesus is? Not what do all they, all those people say Jesus is. Not what do your, uh, your parents say, your friends say Jesus is. Honestly, who do you say Jesus is, really? And how do you live that out practically? And so he asked Peter, who do you say I am? They say I'm John the Baptist resurrected or Isaiah or Jeremiah, but who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. You're the Messiah, the son of a living God. And Jesus says, you're right. And then he says, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Upon this rock, I will build my church. 
And what Jesus is talking about is not upon Peter, he'll build his church. This church is not built, this church or any church is not built on a person that leads it. The reason why, one of the re- big reasons why we have a teaching team here at Voice, and I'm the, I, I teach every other, other week, one of the reasons is because we never wanted to build a church that's built on a personality. This church and every church and the global church, the universal church, is built on this idea. What Jesus says, upon this rock, I'll build my church. And this rock is the idea that Jesus was, is the Messiah. The one that we've all been waiting for, the one that changes all things, the one that renews and restores all things, that this is the one that we've been waiting for. And upon that rock is built his church. And so the question for you again is, who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? It's an important thing for you to wrestle with. So go back to what he was saying. He said that he's going to be given to, to Romans, flogged, killed, all the kind of stuff, raised on the second day, and they failed to grasp what, we, what he was talking about. Today, the, the, mes- the message is titled Selective, Selective Hearing, if you're, if you're taking notes. Selective Hearing, because that's what the disciples were doing. How do we keep from only hearing what we want to hear and completely missing what God is saying? How do we keep from only hearing what we want to hear and miss what God is trying to say? The disciples were so prejudiced, and they didn't realize it. All of us are biased in so many ways. All of us are prejudiced in so many ways, and we don't realize it. And for the disciples, even though they had the Old Testament memorized, all the prophecies memorized, what they saw of as Messiah was someone that was going to be an earthly ruler, overthrow Rome, that they're going to be their own country again, out from under the foot of Caesar. That's all they saw. And because of that, they missed all the prophecies about the Messiah suffering. And here's the thing is, I don't blame them. If I was in their shoes, I'd probably see the same thing. We see the benefit of hindsight, you know, the hindsight and go, no, no, no. Here, come on, look at these prophecies. Look at these things that David wrote in Psalms. Obviously, that's talking about Messiah. They didn't, they didn't understand that back then. I mean, how could a Messiah suffer? How could God willingly let his creation hurt him? Think about that. How could the creator of life be hurt by his creation? Zeus isn't hurt by man. Zeus flicks man around. This is not what gods do. How could the author of life die? Right? This is not something that they would go, oh yeah, that makes sense. They'd be like, what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. This is the seventh time, the seventh time that Jesus says something similar like this, where he talks about his future suffering, and all seven times the disciples miss it because they want to hear something else. They're so focused on another idea that they miss this idea. But here's the thing. Within a few weeks, Jesus would get arrested, and they're like, what's going on? He'd be handed over to the Romans. Things are starting to click. He's flogged 39 times within an inch of his life. Flesh is literally falling off. And they're starting to get it. He's taken outside, killed like a common criminal, executed, killed. Their Messiah, they, we talked about this on Good Friday. Their Messiah, the one that they followed for three years, the one they've given up their entire careers to go follow, they, he, he dies. And with it, their movement dies. He's put in Joseph's tomb. He's prepared for burial. Every hope is gone at this point. Because they see their God 
die. There's no, there was not going to be a, a triumphant thing because he's in the tomb. The tomb is sealed. He's embalmed. And then on the third day, he's resurrected. Empty tomb. And I, I guarantee you they went back and remembered, oh, that's what he was talking about. And I really believe that one day we're going to look back at our lives and we're going to have some epiphany. And our challenge every week at church is to go, look, at the end of your life, you're going to really understand these few things. Then why not live as if those things are true now? We can actually do something about them. See, Jesus said the most important thing is your relationship with him and your relationship with others, God and people, right? Those are the most, most important things. And for better or for worse, as a pastor, I've had to interact with people at some of those most vulnerable moments where they're diagnosed with cancer, they're on their deathbed, or at the funeral. And you know what people care about in those moments? How am I doing with God? And how am I doing with people? And the challenge, if it's so crystal clear, and if it's so consistent for everyone on those last few breaths, and why not live as if that's true today? Because as nice as it is to have a nice house and countertops or car or sports team or whatever you're into, those things aren't bad. But when you're in those final moments, you're not going to go, I should have got the nicer countertop. Right? You're not going to go, I should have got the better package on my car. Those things won't be the most, they're, they're, they're great. If you like cars, they're great. But they're not the most important things in those moments. Why not live like it's that true today? Right? So this is the same thing for us. It's been really challenging actually for us to go through the Gospel of Luke for now over a year. Because Jesus tends to talk about the same things over and over and over again. He talks about living surrender to him. He doesn't talk about, man, you want to follow me. You know, set aside an hour once a week, sing some songs and listen to a talk. He talks about this idea of being fully surrendered to him, heart, soul, mind, and strength. He talks about putting other people above yourselves, like actually valuing other people more than you value yourselves. He talks about loving and serving others. That you can tell a lot about your faith by how you deal with the other. How do you deal with someone you disagree with who sees the world differently than you? You can tell a lot about your faith by that. Not by how you deal with people who agree with you and think you're awesome, but by people who disagree with you and think you're a moron. How do you deal and love and forgive and reconcile with those people? That says a lot about your faith. Jesus talks about that over and over and over again. Jesus talks more, more than heaven and hell and relationships combined. Jesus talks about money. That there's a unique thing about finances that not only reveals your heart, but it guides your heart. That nothing reveals your allegiance to Christ more than how you deal with the money that flows through your hands. Jesus talks about that over and over and over again. This is why we're going through this gospel. And the hard part when we gather as a teaching team to go through these passages and break up what we're going to talk about, the hard part is how do we approach this at a new angle? Right? Like, Jesus is bringing up the same thing again. How do we approach this as a new angle? How do we talk about this again? And we're tempted to skip over it, but our, our commitment was that we're not going to skip over any verses in this thing because there's some really awkward things Jesus talks about. And there's been some passages that we've had to go, yeah, I don't know. Here's a few things that people think, but I don't know what to do with this passage. And we've just been honest with you about it. 
What's so wild is there have been people that have come up to Natalie and I during, uh, you know, the last year as we're going through this Luke series, and people are like, why are we taking so long to go through one book of the Bible? And I've been processing that actually a lot over the last few weeks, and, and it hit me that I needed to repent because it's a scary place to be when, when we are bored with the teachings and life of Christ. When we get to a point where we're like, ah, Jesus again, we talk, so, what did Paul say, right? Like we're, we're, we're like, we're bored with the life and the teachings of Jesus. That's a scary place to be. See, what Jesus asked for is faithfulness. And a lot of times we don't want to be faithful. We just want to learn something new. God asks for obedience. Instead of obedience, we just ask for a different lesson. A lot of us, me included, can be educated far beyond our level of obedience. Right? The big question we want you to consider after every Sunday message, right? Every time you, you're reading the, the Bible on your own or you're praying on your own and God says, I think you should do this or why don't you consider this? The big question is, are you actually living that out? Not do you have the book memorized, not do you tithe, not do you volunteer at church. Are you actually living this thing out? We want, an, we want new before we actually do many times. Imagine if, you know, so our, our, we have two kids, and, you know, they do, uh, they do chores around the house like good kids do uh, most of the time. And some chores they do for, um, like, money, and some chores they do just because they have free rent, right? So one of the things that they do because they wanted a dog and they'll take care of it, yeah, yeah so— uh, was they have to pick up our, our, our dog's poop. Now, our dog is like a large hamster. Like, it's about this big, right? So it's a, they're not very big. My, our, my old dog had pooped bigger than our current dog. Uh, so our, our, they're very easy, but one of the jobs that they do is they have to pick up poop every day, right? So they, they divvy it up every other day. So imagine if one of them, I know my kids would never do this, but imagine if my kids, one of them, it's like 5 o'clock, I'm like, hey, did you pick up poop? And she's like, no. Fifteen minutes later, hey, did you pick up poop? No. Okay, hour later, it's like bedtime. Hey, did you pick up poop? Why do you keep bringing that up? We've already talked about this. No. <laughs> right? What, what if she goes even further and she says, hey, can, can you tell me something new? Why, why don't you tell me to do something that I'm already doing so I feel good about that? Let's talk about that instead. Like, no, no, did you pick up poop? What, what if she came back to me and said, well, no, I didn't, I didn't pick up poop, but can you bless me? Dad, can I borrow 10 bucks? Can, can, you, can you help me with this project? I don't want to obey you in this at all, but, I mean, can you just do this for me? Imagine if I say, hey, did you pick up poop? No, but I'm praying about it. Really processing it. Writing it down, memorizing it. Thou shalt pick up poop. I'm not going to do it, but I'm going to memorize it. Did you pick up poop? No, 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 but I've actually got this group together. Once a week we get together and we talk about picking up poop. We think we talk about the benefits of it, why it's a good thing to do. Did you pick up poop? No. No, of course not. But actually in our gatherings where we get together, I'm singing songs about it. You know, pick up poop for the Lord. Sing, you actually pick it up? No. I know it's kind of silly to think about, but I mean, you get it, right? You get it. And here's the thing. 
No condemnation. No condemnation. Because I think all of us are there at some level. My prayer coming into this is that no one would leave feeling guilt. No one would leave feeling shame. If you feel guilt or shame, that's not the spirit of God. That's the enemy. Or maybe it's your upbringing. In my case, it probably be, <laughs> I don't want to give the enemy too much credit. I kind of hear my parents' voice, right? It's, there's, you grew up in a household of guilt and shame. No, no, no. If it's the Lord, think about this. If you're teaching your kid how to walk, right? And no, no babies are born knowing how to walk, right? They're kind of like slugs, okay? And they, little by little, they learn how to walk. If your kid falls after taking a step or two, you're not like, idiot. You'll never get it. What's wrong with you? Change your last name, right? What do you do? You just go, good job, buddy. Yeah, you totally fell, right? And, and those guys are parents for a long time know that you just go, yay! And even if they fall, they're like, oh, I guess, okay, you're celebrating me. I'm not going to cry, right? So you, you pick them back up and you say, try again. Try again. Why do you think you do that? Why do you think that's our natural response? Could it be that we're made in the image of God and that's God's heart too? That when the prodigal son came home, the, the father didn't go, idiot. He goes, let's party. So glad you're home. So glad you're making a step in the right direction. No condemnation. Jesus took the guilt and shame and burden so you don't have to. So, no guilt or shame or condemnation. But here's the question. And the teaching is short this week because I, I didn't want to skip on to another passage and we forget this. But here's a question I want you to wrestle with. And I, I, want, I hope it bothers you. We say this all the time. We want it, you come up with questions every week at the end of this teaching because we want them to bother you. We want you, you to like, think about them over lunch. We want you, the Lord, to remind you of this. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit rem- will, will lead you into all truth and remind you what you've been taught. So we hope that this bothers you a little bit. What, but here's the question. What has God been asking you to do that you've been trying to ignore? What has God been asking you to do that you've been trying to ignore? What has God been trying to tell you that you're trying to ignore and la, 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 let's talk about something else? My guess is you don't even have to think about it that long. My guess is you know. You know. See, so many of us get caught up with like, what's the will of God for my life? And there's actually verses that say, understand the Lord's will. That's kind of a weird Bible verse. Understand the Lord's will. That's like those of you guys that are way smarter than me. Look at like Johnny back there. He's like a neurologist. And imagine, look, tell me like something very complex. And I'm like, what? And he's like, talk, just understand it. Okay, super helpful. Thanks, man. But God says, understand the Lord's will. What's that mean? I think it means you already know what the Lord's will is. The Lord's will is less about a location you live in. It's less about what career you choose. It's more about the kind of person you are. So, what has God been trying to tell you? It could be something recent. It could be for years. Whenever you get right with God, Whenever you set aside time to pray, set aside time to, to worship, to read the Bible, God brings you back to this thought. And you're like, no. I'm just going to keep going to church. I'm going to keep singing songs. 
but I'm not going to do that. What is it that God's been trying to tell you that you're trying to ignore? Could be something at work. Could be something with your career. Could be something where there's just way, there's a way things are done at work that you, it just rubs you the wrong way and you know it's not right, but it's just the culture of work. But the Lord's been checking you on it going, but you don't have to do it that way. You don't have to be that way. I've talked to so many people over the years that they're going, I feel like there's the Christian version of me at church, and then when I go to work, I have to change hats. Right? Like the movie Over the Top, when you put the hat the back, you guys are old and you remember under this kind of reference, but you're like, you change. But maybe you're not supposed to. Maybe you're supposed to be more integrated than that, where the person you are here is the person you are at work. So maybe it's something at work. Maybe it's something with your marriage or your family. And you feel this tension. You feel the Lord going, you should do this. You should start doing this. You should. I don't want to do that. Stop reminding me of that. I don't want to do that. God, will you bless me? I don't want to do that, but I'm going to small group. I don't want to do that. Let's talk. Can you give me something else to, to do that I'm already doing? I don't want to talk about that anymore. Maybe it's something with your career. That you're supposed to change careers. You're supposed to shift. But you don't want to because it's scary. You're supposed to launch something, but it's scary. Because what if it fails? Sure. Of course. What if it fails? What if it doesn't? What if it doesn't? Maybe it's something with your finances. Where you felt God saying, God, you should spend your money differently. Come on. We talked about you spend your money. You're not honoring me with your finances. Maybe it's volunteering on, in a local organization in your community. Maybe it's serving somewhere here with the church. Maybe it's going on a, on a trip around the world serving another organization that you believe in. But maybe it's something with your volunteer, giving your time to another organization that doesn't benefit you at all. Maybe it's nothing about doing. Maybe you're a doer. Like I'm, a, I'm an Enneagram 8. I'm a doer. I like, sometimes I make lists just to check them off. You guys do that? Like, I'm halfway done with a project, but I put it on the list, even though I'm going to be done in like 10 seconds, just so I can check it off, right? So I, if you're like that, I totally get it. And, and a lot of times God's messages to me are not about God talking, start doing this or that. It's more about heart stuff, being kind of stuff. Some of you, God is trying to get through your thick skull that you are loved. You are loved. That you are enough. Right now. Not if you change X, Y, or Z. Not if you, see the reality is, as we're, even as we're approaching Father's Day, you know the reality of most men? Even though we hide and we stuff our emotions, right? We hide behind sarcasm and all this kind of stuff. You know the reality is? Most guys feel like failures. Most dads feel like failures. And maybe God just wants to tell you, you're loved. Just as you are. If you don't succeed at any more things, even though you feel like you've messed up here and here and here in relationship, can you know God loves you just as you are? You're enough just as you are. Now, he loves you too much for you to stay that way, but you don't have to change for God to love you. That there's, there's, Listen, there's nothing you can do that will make God love you more. You hear me? There's nothing you can do that will make God love you more. There's nothing you can do that will make God love you less. You are loved just as you are. Maybe God's been trying to tell you that for a long time. You're like, no, 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 no. But if I just succeed, if I just make this right, if I just get this promotion, then, no, 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 just 
as you are. If you lose, if you go backwards, if you fail, you're loved just as you are. You're enough just as you are. Some of you guys maybe need to know that you're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're like, yeah, I get it. God forgave me. No, no, no. You forgive you too then. You're forgiven. That skeleton in the closet, confess it to God, you're forgiven. You don't have a relationship with God because of your goodness. You have a relationship with God because you confess and he takes on your badness and gives you his goodness. There's better biblical terms for that, but that's kind of the sum of it, right? See, you want to move on to something new. God wants you to obey. A lot of us, we want to feel something before we act. God wants you to be faithful before you feel. Does that make sense? So worship me, if you want to come up, I, I, what is God? What is God? Again, I hope, this ha- I hope it, it's like an earworm and it just haunts you. What has God been trying to tell you that you've been trying to ignore? What has God been trying to help you understand that you're trying to ignore? What has God been trying to t- tell you to do that you're trying to ignore? But when you turn off the screen, when your phone dies and you have nothing else to do but think, right, you're like, oh, there's a whole world on the, on the other side on, you know, without my screen. In those moments, when you're trying to go to sleep, and your mind wanders, God reminds you of this. And it creates tension, anxiety, and guilt, and shame inside of you. What has God been trying to tell you to do? And again, I think you know already. I don't think you need to pray about it. I think even as we've been talking, that you're like, okay. And here's the thing. Don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. Just pick up the poop. Right? Don't overthink it. Just make the phone call. Send the text. Set up the appointment. Make the change. Do it. Do it. Right? Nike, just do it. Okay? And the Holy Spirit will be with you. That's where you say, okay, God, I don't want to do this, but I know it's what you're asking me to do. Holy Spirit, I invite you in to this situation. Would you help me? It's like the person that says, God, I don't, Jesus, I don't believe. Would you help me with my unbelief? that moment recognizing your god i don't want to do this i don't think i have what it takes to do this will you help me to want to do this that's where the holy spirit comes in. let me pray for you let me pray for you god i just pray that this wouldn't just be another sermon that we forget god i've forgotten more sermons than i ever remember holy spirit would you do what no teaching could ever do Holy Spirit, would you guide us into all truth? Would you help us to live like you want us to live? Would you help us to be whole, integrated people that love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, full of peace, full of joy, full of love? God, I pray that you would help us to check anxiety and angst and stress at the door, pride and cockiness and self-centeredness. Would you help us to keep that stuff out of our heart? Help us to represent you well. God, we don't want to just put on church services. God, we want to be your church. We want people to see us and recognize you. We love you, God.
Jesus' name. Amen.